Amen, amen, amen. It is a good day to get together. Right, New Vintage Church? All right. It's a good day to get together, New Vintage Church. Um, let's just go ahead and get the elephant. Let's just address the elephant in the room. It's a great day to be a Padres fan. You knew I was going to say it. If the over-under was 10 seconds, uh, there you go. I had to say something. You know it. I mean, I don't get to say it's a great day to be a San Diego sports fan very often, so I'm going to take advantage of it while it lasts. Uh, my name is T.J. Iverson. I'm associate pastor here at New Vintage Church. I want to say thank you for joining us, uh, whether you're here in person, whether you're online, if you're watching later this week. We hope that uh, you've been blessed by time of worship. Hope that you're blessed and challenged by uh, a message from the Word today. We are going to be uh, continuing our series uh, called A City Called Eden. And uh, we're going to be parked in Jeremiah 29 a little bit later. We're going to take a pit stop in John 17 first if you guys want to get your Bibles opened up. Uh, this series, A City Called just go out. All right. This series, A City Called Eden, uh, I'm pretty excited about this. This is a cool one, a uh, concept that I really like. Um, Pastor Tim has been leading us through this. And, and basically the principle is this, is that in the beginning, God created the Garden of Eden. And at the end of Scripture in Revelation, he talks about a city that he's built. And so we live in that time in between where the garden grows uh, to the city. And one of the things that I think is important as we, uh, what we're talking about today is we're going to be talking about the tension that we live between, the different tensions that we have, and how do we embrace that? Uh, because the truth is there's no growth without tension. The garden does not become the city without going through some kind of tension over and over and over continuously, and that's the space that we live in. Uh, and, but it's not necessarily our favorite subject. Like, ten, tension is not something that we necessarily like to embrace a lot. Um, but we're going to talk about that today, about how, how do we embrace tension? How do we not just survive it, but thrive in tension here? I, I got a quick little video I want to show you uh, talking about tension. If the internet starts working. How many of you guys are getting a little nervous right now? <laughs> How many guys know me well enough to know that I might put together a video that would make everybody uncomfortable right off the bat? Just sit there watching the wheel spin. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> Will it load? Just so you know my sense of humor, if you would like to borrow this video, put it up on social media, mess with your friends, or email it to your coworkers, uh, that'll be up and available online afterwards. I did this, uh, I did a talk at a church camp about 10 years ago, and I used this video, and I left it on the entire time, and I just watched kids squirm. It's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. I don't remember much from that camp. Uh, it was a while back, but I do remember watching the tension on kids' faces. Is this making every, is everybody good and uncomfortable now? 
the tension of this? Can we, we can go ahead and move on to the next slide. Yeah, then somebody's like, please, Lord. Yeah, absolutely. We can go to the next one. Um, it's starting to make me. Okay. Um, I've titled the sermon Standing Out and Fitting In. This is one of the things that my youth pastor used to say growing up. Um, one of the tensions that we live in as Christians is we want to stand out, right? We, we want to separate ourselves out, but we also need to fit in a little bit, right? Because, you know, it's, a, it's this, if I'm too extreme on one side, I'm not going to have any friends. If I'm too extreme on this side, well, I probably won't have any friends either there, right? Or no influence or no impact. And, and one of the things that I think, uh, we'll, we'll start off with this. One of the tensions that we live with, I think is kind of a hodgepodge we've made of a couple passages. Um, see if you can finish, finish this phrase for me. We live in the world, not... Uh, let's try it one more time. We live in the world, not of the world, right? We live in the world, not in the, of the world. That's this, this tension where we exist, right? And, and so we kind of wonder what that means. Here's where that, that phrase comes from, by the way. John 17, 11. This is Jesus speaking. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And then uh, verse 14 and 15. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And, and so that's one of those tensions that we live in, right? Being in the world and not of the world, trying to, to stand out and fit in. And what I would argue today is that this creates a healthy tension. It's a healthy tension that we live in. And today we're going to talk about how we live in the midst of that. How do we live in this world and not of this world? How do we stand out and fit in? A quick history lesson before we go. Uh, if you're looking for something um, upbeat and uplifting to read, uh, the first few chapters of Jeremiah are probably not the best place to start. Uh, the Israelites, who were rescued from slavery, res rescued from captivity in Egypt hundreds of years before, up to this point in Scripture have basically gone back and forth following God and not following God, honoring his commands and not honoring his commands, worshiping him and worshiping false idols. And so God uh, speaks pretty boldly and, and pretty clearly through Jeremiah uh, Jeremiah is, is the bearer of some, some pretty tough love there in, in the first part of the book. Uh, but at this point, what has happened is God has says, look, because of your transgressions, because of the way things are going, the, my, the Israelites, my chosen people, are going to be removed from Jerusalem. They're going to be removed from their homes in the land that I gave them. And they're going to be handed over in exile to Babylon. 
And so that's what you have. You, you have a ton, a large group of the Israelites who are no longer in their home. They're no longer in the place that they know, hey, this is where we're supposed to be. This is our land for our eternity. This is what God has promised. They are living in exile in Babylon. And God says, this is going to happen for 70 years. For 70 years, my people are going to live in exile in Babylon. They didn't follow God's commands. They struggled with sin over and over and over again. And so they have 70 years in a place that they know is not their home. And that should sound familiar to us. As people that struggle with sin, right? The average life expectancy in the U.S. is 70 some odd years, right? So we know that we have 70 plus or minus years here in this life knowing full well that our home is beyond in heaven in the presence of God, right? But in the meantime, we're here. And so the question becomes, what do we do while we're here? What do we do with our time here? I think it's a question a lot of us ask, and, and, and as, as Christians, as believers, I, I want to encourage us, the first place that we go to when we ask these important questions is the scripture. And that's why I love what we have here in Jeremiah 29. Open up your Bibles, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God says, I did this. This is me. I did this intentionally. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So God, who has watched his people sin over and over again, and in response it says, you're going to spend some time in exile... calls them to spend their time building houses, settling down, plant gardens, marry and have sons and daughters, have grandkids, set up shops, start a business. God calls them to embrace their time in exile. And I would make the argument 
that God calls us to embrace our time here. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, right? And here's what I love about this. If God is calling us to embrace our time here, here's just a handful of things that this does. First of all, it gives purpose to our time. Say that with me. Gives purpose to our time. Instead of taking a 70-year break to learn your lesson, embrace being here, right? Instead of just waiting for this to be over and checking out, saying, you know what, I'm good, me and God are good, I'm just going to stay here, I'll be fine, I'll just wait till everything's over. It gives us a purpose to our time. Because the truth is, if we just kind of check out, then exile becomes the prison, right? I know people have spent time in prison, and, and one of the things that folks in prison typically say is, I'm just trying to do my time and get out. And that's understandable there. Just trying to do my time and get out. This isn't a prison. Our life isn't a prison. This is a chance for us to thrive. And, and so how disappointing is it when we choose to just check out and say, you know what? Someday God's going to make thing, all things right. Until then, I'm just going to hang out. I got devotionals to read. I can just chill, hang out. I'll be good. And wait for the Lord to come. No, God gives us a purpose with this time. If nothing else, he gives us a, a commission, right, to say, go out into the world and teach people in my name. Share the gospel. Live the gospel out. It keeps our faith focused. He's not saying check out. He's saying check in. How about this? We can check out. We can hang back when the gospel's done being preached. Is that a fair trade? Like when we're all done, everybody's been contacted, right? Until that day, we have a purpose. We have something that we're called to. And what a beautiful, beautiful adventure that is. We're in exile. We're called to do something amazing. We're not just surviving we're thriving in exile in our time here. Second, God calling us to embrace our time here, uh, it, it, gives us pur it gives purpose to our time. Second, it shows the glory of God, which I think is the, the more important thing here. It shows the glory of God. Who else can take something like this and turn it around to show how powerful they are, right? And I love this idea. Um, I wasn't planning on using a ton of prison references today, but here we are. Um, Paul and Silas, right? They spend time in prison, 
And it could very easily be like, oh, yeah, Paul and Silas are trapped in prison. No. Those people were trapped in prison with Paul and Silas, right? We're showing the glory of God here. Try and shut those two up. Imagine if they're, I, I imagine those guys were probably not the best singers, but they did anyway. It's like, hey, you know we're in prison, right? Paul and Silas is like, yeah, we're going to praise God. Shows the glory and the power of God that even in the midst of these diff, of the potentially difficult time, a place where you know, hey, this isn't necessarily where I belong, that we give glory to a great God. And, and like I said before, part of, what, part of the glory that God is showing here in this call is he's saying, I don't want you just to survive this. I don't want you just to survive life. This is God saying, I want you to thrive. I don't think he's saying, I want you to be happy all the time. I don't think he's saying, I'm here to serve your needs. What I do see here, though, is God saying, look, you have a chance to thrive in exile. And when you thrive, not only do you bless the people that you're around, but you show the strength of my name. You show who the true and powerful God is. Lastly, I think God's call to embrace our time here is how God prepares for the ultimate victory. In the passages, in a, in a few chapters before Jeremiah 29, God says, look, you're going to spend time in exile. My chosen people are going to spend time in exile. It's, for lack of a better term, tough love. It's going to be difficult. Here's how you live there. Here's how you thrive there. And I want you to know, but he, he tells Jeremiah, tell the people that after that 70 years, Babylon will fall. And God will atone for their sins as well. So Babylon is a tool that God is using to enact his discipline. And when he's done enacting his discipline, on his chosen people, that discipline will go across the board to Babylon as well. And typically we think about that in terms of might is right and kings and wars and overtaking and overthrowing because that's the way of the land at this point in time. And God switches that up though. God says, I'm going to establish you in this land while you're in exile you're going to establish yourselves there. And he's preparing for the time when Babylon has to answer. And who's going to be there? Who's going to be there when Babylon falls? It's going to be all the people, the grandkids, the great grandkids of those who were sent there in exile. And they're going to be the ones that help rebuild. God calls us to take action in our community, 
God is at work in the world. When Jesus says, your kingdom come on earth as it, here, as it is here in heaven, he's not talking about some day. He's talking about us participating and making that happen now. Every day, we have that ability to make this place, this temporary home, look more like our permanent home. That's our call. And that's how God works. That is God's victory. The truth is, in our culture, it, it, like this kind of re- if we're going to embrace this tension, if we're going to embrace this in the world and not of the world, and what does that mean? If we're going to embrace uh, thriving in exile, uh, it, a lot of times that means there's some rewiring that has to go on, right? A, a little bit of rewiring of our souls. Like our, typically we crave comfort, right? Can I get an amen? Like most of the stuff that we do is so that we can be more comfortable. That's generally generally how our culture goes. We seek comfort. Anything that we can do to avoid the slightest bit of tension, we do. Um, we see this on our TV shows. Um, one of my least favorite TV shows of all time. Go ahead and bring the slide up. We'll get the booze out of the way. Um, so here's pretty much like every episode of Friends after season one. One of them has to say something difficult to another, and they don't want to because they're going to feel bad, or they're not, gonna, they're not ready to hear this, or I just can't tell them, or I don't know how they're going to feel. All my friends' fans, I can see there's like tension in the room. It's fine. Bring it. Steer into it. But like every episode is like, I can't tell this. It's gonna, they're going to feel bad, or it's going to hurt their feelings or whatever, so they don't say it. And then, like, the third friend comes in and hears something and gets mistaken, hijinks ensue, and yada, yada, yada. 20 minutes later, person A ends up telling person B what they should have said in the first two minutes of the show and then the theme song. That's, like, seasons two through, like, 37 of Friends, whatever, however many there are. Now, to be fair, a lot of shows are like this. I'm just picking on Friends because it's easy. But that's kind of what, like, what we like to write, right? We want that resolution at the end. It's like, hey, 22 minutes are up, homie. Person A has got to talk to person B and square this up, right? It typically takes a little bit of rewiring for us to get out of seeking comfort. So, for example, I want us to do a little example here. Uh, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to, before we show the next slide, wait, wait on the next slide until I say, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture just a normal San Diego day at the beach. Let's just say Coronado. Not too far from the Hotel Dell. At the beach, in the water sand and the water and the sound of the ocean. Is this the image that you had in your head? Let's go to the next slide. 
Probably not. These are Navy SEALs down at Coronado at the beach. This is part of their training. And what they're doing here is they've got their arms linked together, right? And they're laying down in the surf. And y'all been to some of our beach baptisms. You know that water gets cold quick, right? Like right down the strand from some hotels where people are on vacation, We've got these gentlemen right here sitting, laying down in the ocean, in the cold, in the sand, shivering together as the waves come and crash over them. Now, what they're doing here is simply just an exercise in having fun. This is how seals have fun. <laughs> no. I know one he would probably say yes and really love that joke. No, what they're doing is they're training here. They're rewiring their brains to deal with adversity and tension. And they're practicing in this space here that's uncomfortable, right, so that they can rewire themselves not to seek comfort when things get painful, right? These guys are going to be in some intense, uncomfortable, to say the least, situations with a lot of tension. And this is what you have to do to prepare to not just survive but thrive in those situations. They're rewiring themselves to embrace this tension. I think the truth is we live in tension every day. We live in tension every day. Here's just a few. I think it's a common theme in our lives. I'm saved but I still struggle with sin. Romans 7, right? I know I'm saved. I've given my life over to God, but I still struggle with sin. And so I live in that tension. We know that the battle is won in the Lord's name. Amen? But we still got some fight to go. Amen? And so we live and that tension. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And so we live in this tension. We, we want to stand out or do we want to fit in. And so we get to a point and we, we see what Scripture says. Plant gardens, build houses make families, set up shop. And so the question is, is we deal with the tension of what do we do with our time here? Well, what am I going to do here? I think the point is asking that question. I think asking that question 
what am I going to do here? What are we going to do here? Is the point. We put a building in the middle of downtown Escondido, right? So what are we going to do here? And this tension of, of being the peacemaker in my family. What am I going to do here? I'm the person at work that typically is the only one that tries to, to share the gospel. How am I going to live in that tension? And I think the point is asking that question. A lot of times we want quick answers, but I think the point is asking a question what do we do here? What do we do with our time in exile? What am I going to do here in this place of tension? And what asking that question does, just a handful of things. I, I know there's more. Here's a few that I want to point out. When we ask that question, what am I going to do here? It shows and forces a reliance upon God. It humbles us. It says, I don't have the answers, but I know where to seek the answer to that question of what am I going to do here? And God says, ask and I'll answer. I think living in that tension forces constant growth. When you're asking that question day after day after day, what do I do here, God? God gives us the chance to grow, to build our faith, to embrace adventure. And lastly, I think when we ask, God, what do we do here? What am I going to do with my 70 years here, give or take? I think it shows God's holiness. Because when you ask that question enough, and you see how God answers, you really have no choice but to get down on your knees and worship. When you're over and over and over again asking God, what do I do here? I'm going to humble myself before you. What, what's your answer for me? What, what does it mean for me to, to set up shop here today? What type of garden am I planting today? When we're asking that question over and over and over again, and as we see the replies that God gives us, I think it reveals more and more of his holiness. And I'll end with this. That God's holiness is much more important than our comfort. As much as God just wants me to be happy, looks great on a piece of shiplap at Hobby Lobby, I don't think it's true. I think God's holiness takes precedence over our comfort. And how do I know this? We're going to take a turn towards communion right now, which is a celebration of Jesus Christ's body and blood. And Jesus Christ lived in this tension. He was God and he was man. His whole life, he lived knowing what God's plan was for his people. And yet he still did it. And Jesus didn't just 
exist here. Jesus thrived. Jesus built a church that is still thriving today. Jesus built a ministry that has been handed down to us over thousands and thousands of years. And we have the responsibility of handing that ministry on for the next thousands of years or until the Lord comes, whatever he decides. And so we celebrate that. We celebrate our Savior who conquered death and died on the cross for our sins but never sinned. Who is God and could have called thousands of angels rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey for his crucifixion. That's who we celebrate today. That's who we take our cue from today as we go out and as we embrace our time here. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his example of what it means to live in that tension. God, we're thankful for the difficult times. We're thankful for the, the great times. We're thankful for the daily question of what am I going to do with my time here today, God? I, I thank you for this scripture that says, set up shops, plant a garden, start a family, do something meaningful that will last for generations so that you can show my glory. And God, whatever that is today for us, I pray that we would embrace that, that we would not run from it, that we would not check out or just sit on the sidelines and wait for things to happen, God, but that we would be people of action, that we would be people of your word and your spirit. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen.